Last week, we sat in this concept of Shema. If you weren't with us, Shema is this Hebrew word that means to listen, but there is no Hebrew word for the word obey, so it actually means both of those things simultaneously. To truly listen is to follow through. To hear is to truly process, embody, and begin to live out. Now, I... I had a blast as we were going into this last week. And, and, and it's important because as we seek to be revived by God, to experience his own life flowing through us, in us, this attachment that we have with him is vital that we understand that we are called to abide with Jesus. And as we do, we will bear much fruit. And as we do, we begin to shema, we begin to listen and obey his voice. But this only happens out of a secure attachment with him. Now, last week after the gathering, I got a super thought-provoking question that maybe you have been asking throughout this week. Somebody came up to me and asked, okay, so I get the whole, like, I'm supposed to listen and obey God's voice of peace, but how do I recognize God's voice? It's a good question, right? How do I know if it's God's voice or my voice? What happens if he's talking? How do I know I'm listening? Now, maybe you've been, maybe, maybe when you think of the concept of hearing God's voice, automatically what comes to your mind is some like damaging or frustrating experience from your past. Or maybe you have always on the other end of the spectrum, have always experienced such deep intimacy with God where, where you hear his voice, you, you read it in the scriptures and you're like, yes, like that's just never been a problem for you. Or maybe just the entire concept just sounds really weird to you. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, that's okay. We're here tonight together. And when it comes, because when it comes to hearing God's voice in prayer, I need to start by confessing that oftentimes I feel like dug and up, you know, like going at, like I'm praying. It's like sincere prayers and it's like squirrel and like, like just deviates left, right, and in between all up and down all the time. My prayer life is a constant bouncing around from sincere prayer, or sincere prayer to rabbit trails. And early on in my life with Jesus, that was really discouraging for me. I thought it just meant that there was something just so wrong with me in my prayer life and that I was never going to connect with Jesus the same way that somebody who can be in their prayer closet for hours on end, not breaking focus at all, could do it. That I had to fit this mold for my prayer life to genuinely listen to God and connect with him. But see, here's what I have discovered in my time in the scriptures. God desires to hear from me. He desires for me to hear from him. And he desires for you to hear from him. And he desires to hear from you. God wants a dialogue with you. He does. He can and he does desire for each of us to hear from him. And he speaks in a diversity of ways. I mean, just look throughout the pages of the scriptures and what you'll discover is a great diversity of ways that God speaks to his people depending on the circumstances and depending on who the person is. Now with that in mind, this topic is enough to fill countless books. And in fact, there are countless books about the topic, all kind of coming at different slants and angles. So forgive me if I don't answer all the nuanced questions or bring up all the things that you might super desire for me to bring up. But instead, my hope is tonight that we would both honor God's beautiful diversity of the ways in which he desires to reveal himself to us, while at the same time discovering the various ways that we can hear God's voice. 
And hopefully in the midst of this, what we will discover is how we can begin to discern, is it me or is it his voice? Does that sound great? Now, if you're a note-taking kind of person, this is going to be one of the few messages around here that you're really going to love for the note-taking aspect. Um, now, so, uh, so feel free to take out your uh, notes app or whatever you use for that. Now, in the scriptures, though, here's where we're starting tonight. We discover a God who consistently wants to talk to his people. That is utterly important that we understand He wants to talk to his people. From Genesis to Revelation, God bursts through the barriers between himself and humanity. I mean, in the garden, we get the image after the man and the woman have rebelled against God of his continual pursuit of conversation with them. Genesis chapter three, verse eight and nine. Here's how it's written. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? Notice in that moment, the man and the woman, they're not going after God. And he's like, I'm disappointed in you. You guys back away. No, no, he's coming after them. And what are they doing? They're like, how do I, how do we play this hide and go seek game, right? They're trying to dodge God kind of hard to do with one who's omnipresent, right? They want to avoid him, but he is relentlessly pursuing them. Another example in the book of Exodus, we talked about this example a few weeks ago, and we're talking about the fear of the Lord in the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites. God wants to talk directly to the nation of Israel. In fact, he says that much. He says, I want you, Moses, to bring them into my presence. But then they say to Moses, no, 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 no. You go. We'll stay here. You just bring back word. We're cool with that. Time after time after time, this isn't an isolated occurrence. This is consistent. God wants relationship with us. He pursues humanity. Us, not so much. See, the ultimate expression of this is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, leaving the comforts of the kingdom to bring the kingdom to us. In John chapter 10, there is this beautiful, beautiful story where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. The one who knows, leads, feeds, and protects his sheep. See, a shepherd has a real relationship with his sheep, right? Like that's the entire concept of a shepherd is they are near their sheep. They know when their sheep are wandering off. They know where their sheep are at. They know what their sheep eat. They are with their sheep. They are embodied with their sheep. Now, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the cel- to celebrate Hanukkah and he gets ambushed by a bunch of individuals who aren't his disciples. And what they want to know is, are you the one? Are you the Messiah, the Christ? They even say, don't keep us in suspense. Tell us plainly. So Jesus gets very, very, very plain with them. Uh, Verse 25, John, John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. They wanted it plainly. He's talking super plainly now. My sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. Let me hit that one more time. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You want it plainly? Here it is. So he's like, here's the reality. Yes, I am that one, but you're not believing this about me. And that makes sense because you're not my sheep, but my sheep. And this is what we need to hold on to. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. They shema, they hear and obey. They listen, they are with me. Now it's important that we cover this because if you do not trust and believe that God's desire is that we would hear from him, everything else about this particular message is probably just gonna be pretty frustrating. God delights in revealing himself to his people. God delights in revealing himself to his people. I mean, this is, this is Jesus. John, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, John continues, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So the first point of clarity as far as how we can hear God's voice. Well, God's already spoken. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Now that word, that word, word in Greek is the word logos. And logos uh, can, I don't know if you might've learned that in like an argumentation course or communication course back in school, but like the idea of logos, it is, it's truth. It is concept, but it's more than just concept or truth. It is voice. It is the essence played out verbally. It is a message that comes from the core. And Jesus is that. He is the voice of God with flesh on. So in other words, whenever Jesus talks, you know what God sounds like. Whenever Jesus loves people, you discover how God responds to people because Jesus is God, because he is the voice of God. Now, in Jesus, we discover also God's desire for humanity. And this is so vital that we understand because this is the summation of all of God's desires in one. Rabbis were often asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? So that was a fairly normal question for somebody like Jesus to get. So Jesus once asked Matthew 22, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You might've heard this one a time or two. And he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you remember, that's where we're at last week, the Shema. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, God's desires, his calling, his ultimate expression of the law of his, of if you want to know what God wants for humanity, it is that we would love God and love people. And it matters that we love people to rightly love God because people are image bearers of God. Even the hard ones to love are image bearers of God. Now, practically the implications of this are um, completely encapsulate all of life, 
right? Love God, love people. What Jesus is saying is that when we look, when we look around and we're trying to figure out what to do, that is the paradigm in which all decisions are made. It is the truth that is meant to embody us as a people. Like, as in, is what I'm hearing ultimately leading me to love God and love people? There might be hard truths that we're called to share, but even when we are sharing things that are difficult to hear, are we doing it out of a desire to love? And are we articulating in the most loving way that we are able to by the Spirit's leading? Everything comes down to love. For example, God would not lead you to steal from someone, right? He's not gonna lead you to commit adultery. He's not gonna lead you to gossip. Each of those things would be unloving to fellow image bearers and ultimately then unloving towards God. So we can know God's truest desires for us in the person of Jesus. But if you believe that, it's not just about believing. The question is, if you believe that when we hear him, will we listen and obey? Will we Shema? This brings us into the second point of clarity. God speaks through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, here's a few things about the Spirit of God that are worth noting. One, the Spirit of God is not naturally inside any one of us. The Spirit of God is not naturally inside any one of us. That's why he comes into the picture when we have second birth, when we have begin to follow after Jesus, the Spirit of God begins to dwell within us. The Spirit of God is also not a part of God. He is God. He is a co-equal in the Trinity, like this is entire books and classes and all kinds of wonder on this another time. But all that's to say, he is a member of the Trinity as the Father and Jesus the Son both are members of the Trinity. So he's kind of a big deal. He was there at the, at the moment of creation, hover, over, hovering over the waters. The Ruach of God, as Brady was talking about in the second week of the series. And throughout the scriptures, we see moments where he takes up residence within God's people to fulfill God's purposes. Think of in the wilderness, the artisans of the tabernacle are enveloped and dwelt with the spirit of God to fulfill a specific purpose. Kings and prophets, there's examples of them as well, being filled up by the spirit of God for a specific time, for a specific purpose. But it's always just for the length of time that's needed to give voice, guidance, and empowerment beyond human ability. Which is why all of a sudden, it be, when you understand that, it begins to make sense in John chapter 16, verse 7, when Jesus would say this to his disciples, right? As I read this, think about if you are one of Jesus' disciples, what's going through your brain, okay? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Wouldn't you be questioning Jesus in this moment in time? Be like, no, I think Jesus next to me is always the best option in life, right? But I think we could trust Jesus a little bit more than ourselves, right? Then he says, it is better that I go because the spirit of God will come. The helper will come. He says it's to your benefit because the very voice of God would be dwelling inside of you. The help of God inside you. The power of God inside of you. And Jesus taught, but what happened with his disciples? Did they really consistently listen and obey his voice? The answer is no. They're really bad at this. I can't pretend I would have been any better at that point in time. But then the spirit comes in to the life of the church. And all of a sudden, Shema becomes a reality. 
They listen and obey. So Jesus returns to the kingdom of heaven. The spirit of God descends upon the church. And guess what? That movement 2,000 years ago in that upper room in Jerusalem is still having reverberations into your soul tonight. Still, he is here to lead us, guide us, empower us, give us God's voice so that we could bring the kingdom of God into our world as we make disciples of all nations. See, the Spirit of God has not changed his job description. He still only comes in to God's people for a specific purpose, for a specific length of time. He still does that. It's just that the task is go make disciples of all nations. The task started 2,000 years ago, still going today, and it will go until whenever Jesus returns. The task is just a pretty long task, a little bit longer than just building a tabernacle, right? Now, this means that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, he dwells within you. The Spirit of God dwells within you. He wants to guide you, and he can do that in beautiful, personal ways. According to the scriptures, he convicts us of sin to remind us of our desperate need of God. He can guide us by prompting our spirits and our conscience. He can guide us, even pray on our behalf. He wants to dialogue with us. And he can also speak through what from our version of perception would be supernatural realities. Things like visions or dreams, his still small voice words of prophecy or knowledge. Now, I realize that last sentence is like an entire sermon series in and of itself, right? And if you'd like to know, if you'd like to be guided to a few good resources, I'd love to chat with you about that later on, okay? But what this all brings us to the point of is do, if we believe that God can speak through the power of his spirit, it's not enough just to believe it. Will we shema? Will we listen Will we obey? Now, God also speaks through the scriptures. Now, here's the thing. Have people done terrible things over the last 2,000 years in the name of Jesus? Okay, good. We're all agreeing on that one. Okay, got it. But God never would lead people counter to the scriptures. The spirit of God would not contradict the word of God. So if somebody says, well, I think the spirit told me to go murder that guy. Doubtful. I, you know, <laughs> see all the scriptures are encompass God's desires, his commands for his programming guide for how humanity is called to live life together with him in flourishing. And according to Jesus, it sums up into the concept of loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, when we're interacting with scripture, are there parts of the scripture that sometimes seem contradictory? Yes. Where it seems like God seems to be saying, take a left. And the next page, it's like, oh no, he said, right. Yes. Sometimes it does seem that way. But see, this is why it's so important that we learn to constantly remove our biases, our cultural blinders as much as we can to acknowledge those realities so that we can learn to interpret the scriptures well, wisely, and in context. Now, here's a quick example of that, okay? Um, Exodus 21, uh, you've probably heard this before, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for, eye, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That whole concept, right? 
Now, Jesus, Matthew chapter five, here's how he talks about it. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other also. What is going on here? The first one was Yahweh talking to Moses. Like this wasn't a made up rule that they created. The second one is Jesus. Is Jesus contradicting the Father? Well, that's why it's so important that we know how to interpret the scriptures well, wisely, and in context. Because when you do that, you would know that in the book of Exodus, what God is doing is he is actually, he is not giving permission, he is giving limitation. Because in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, the, the, the cultural norm was revenge. So if somebody takes a tooth, you take their eye. If somebody takes your eye, you take their life. If somebody takes your, their your ox, you take their property. What God was saying there was for my people, you are going to live in a way that is not based on revenge. It is based on what is just. Get this for this, like for like. No further. Don't push it beyond into a space of revenge. Get what is owed. Get what is just. So then you have Jesus. And now Jesus isn't isn't dismissing the thought, but what he's doing is furthering it beyond just justice into a space of grace and mercy. He wasn't saying that the law of justice is bad. What he was saying is that the gospel calls us beyond that towards grace, towards mercy. Now, that's just one example. And if we want to discern well and wisely and in context where God is leading us within the scriptures, we need to learn how to interpret the scriptures well, wisely, and in context. This is also the reason why commonly we call the scriptures, the Bible, God's word. Because within it, we hear the clearest expression of his voice. When, and when we hear a voice, a thought, an opinion, or a belief, and we want to ensure that it is good, wise, and true— we take it to the scriptures. We test it there. Because the spirit of God that is inside of you is the same one who inspired and formed the scriptures through human authors. So the spirit of God is not going to contradict the word of God. Now, let's say we all believe that. God speaks through his scriptures. The question is, will we listen and obey? God speaks through his biblical community. Now, it's important that we learn to interpret the scriptures well, wisely, and in context. But unfortunately, in our individualistic culture, that has looked like, well, I have my own interpretation of the scriptures, and I, I don't really care what you have to think about it. And there's skepticism towards the concept of taking in wisdom of biblical community, especially anyone who might have a different thought or, or understanding than, than me. We can easily read the scriptures for ourselves. We come up with our interpretations and we're like, yeah, that'll work. But the reality is what this is missing out on is the unfathomable beauty and benefit that God has given us both in the global and historic church, which spans ages and the entire planet, as well as the beauty that he has allowed us to sit in right here tonight the local church. See, we miss the beauty that we have within our own biblical community. We have one another. 
within this particular local church. God has provided elders and deacons, discipleship leaders and mentors. We have friends who are journeying with Jesus who desire to demonstrate a life of faithfulness, of listening and obeying God's voice. Putting his desires over our own, his thoughts over our own. Now, do I or anyone else in this room do it perfectly? No. But the point is long obedience in the same direction. We're on this journey together. And we miss out on so much beauty when we forget that we're not alone, that we have one another, that we have the opportunity together. And this means we go to people who aren't just going to back up what our thoughts are already, people who might refine our thoughts, people that might challenge our thoughts, because in that, the friction, it's good. So don't just go to people who are just naturally going to agree with you all the time. Even though I know it makes it so much easier, right? So when you don't know which voice you are hearing, you can take those words to others within community who you can trust to help you discern God's voice in wisdom and in prayer and in fasting. That's what the privilege we have together. And it's not like Mosaic Church came up with this concept. In the early church, in the book of Acts, we discover this consistent image of the church coming together to discern with one another where the Spirit of God was leading. And we have access to the same Spirit today. It's not like a watered down spirit, like the way that we do with Abby with juice, you know, like we give her like 10% juice and 90% water. Like we don't have a watered down Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit that was hovering over the waters of creation. The same one that allowed Peter to boldly preach in the midst of difficult realities is the same one that's within us tonight. So let's say you do all this. Are we going to get it right every time? No. 100% of the time, not even close. But this brings us to the last and final clarity point for the night, and then we'll close up. God speaks to imperfect humans. And if you're wondering which ones those are, it's you and me. And what that means, what that should lead us to is humility. It should lead us to humility. In the Old Testament, I mean, think about this. In the Old Testament, when somebody claimed to speak directly on behalf of God and were proven wrong, they got taken outside the city and killed, right? Like, I'm not saying we're advocating that. We're not doing that anytime around these parts, right? But what it was meant to produce for the people is this awareness of approaching hearing God's voice with humility and acknowledging that we're not always going to listen perfectly. I'll say it this way. You have a bias. You have a bias. You have a bias. You have a world that you live in that has influenced that. You have thoughts from different sources that influence the way you hear things. Me too. And it's important that we acknowledge that. Because if we can acknowledge that, then we can present that to Jesus continually and go, God, I want to hear you clearly. Could you remove whatever it is that naturally makes me want to hear things my way? See, it's not that God isn't necessarily clear. It's that we struggle to listen. We have wax in our ears a little bit, right? But by God's grace, we can learn to be better listeners. Long obedience in the same direction stuff, right? So in other words, we have to start with the posture of humility. 
Which is why I think it is so important that when we approach one another, we do it in a posture of humility, especially when we believe God might have revealed something to us. This is why it is so, I would strongly advise and encourage you to not go up to somebody and say, hey, God told me this. There's ways to say that. Things like, hey, I think God may have placed this on my heart for you. I, I, I think there might be something that's on my heart. Um, I think it might be from the spirit. Would you mind if I shared it with you? There's a verse that God, I think, wanted me to share with you. Is that okay for me to do, do so? This idea that when we approach it in a space, in a posture of humility, what that's not doing is saying, well, I don't think that God is really speaking or active. What it is saying is, I know that I'm not always going to hear right. I can be humble. And God says a lot of things in the scripture about being humble. So we can know God's voice about humility and pride, right? Which means if you have a dream or a vision, not just automatically offering up an interpretation and sharing that to people, but instead humbly bringing that to other people, bringing that into spaces of community, people that you can trust to help you discern. That's what this is all about. We are interconnected. We're not meant to do this stuff alone. This doesn't mean that we're questioning God's ability to speak. It just means we want to demonstrate a posture of humility before a God who is good, right, and holy. And I've seen this done so well as friends had brought words over me, verses that were so timely in my life and in my story. It was just, it's been so encouraging and so incredible. I've also seen people say that God told them to do something or that something was going to pass and that thing doesn't come to pass. And then you're left wondering, was that God? But the reality is, when we are speaking in a posture of humility, what ultimately, where we'll ultimately know exactly what God meant is when the reality comes to pass, right? I didn't get the job, but I knew God told me I was going to get the job. I knew I was going to marry that person or how the relationship was going to go. But the reality is when we can go in a posture of humility, we'll see what happens. Because ultimately, God's plans aren't foiled, He's kind of got that whole sovereignty thing on, like his plans play out in this world. And we get to see and journey with him in the midst of our brokenness as he brings redemption into broken stories. So speak in humility when representing God's voice because he is both personal and near and he is also holy and worthy of our joyful fear. Okay, we just covered a ton of content. But ultimately, and hopefully, what, if there's nothing else, what you would be left with is more than anything else, the truth that the God of the universe, the creator, the king of the cosmos, desires an intimate relationship with you. And he has sent the spirit of God to lead you and to guide you. And perhaps in this season of life, you've been feeling alone. Know that your creator cares deeply for you. He knows you and he desires to draw you near to himself. And these aren't my thoughts. They are his and they are recorded from Genesis to Revelation. Over and over and over again, God's desires to break into the story of humanity and bring out his redeemed people. He wants this for us. Now, what if each of us desired to hear God's voice in prayer and through the scriptures and in biblical community? I think it'd be really awesome, right? I'm gonna invite the band to come on forward.
But you see, more than just desiring to hear, what if each of us truly desired to abide in him? And as we did, we would shema. We would listen and obey day by day, bit by bit, more and more. Trusting his thoughts over ours, his ways over ours, his desires over our own. Let me close by just reiterating what Jesus said to us about his sheep in John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Shema, listen and obey. Would you pray with me? Father, how cool is it that we can call you Father? that you are the creator of atoms, mountains, stars, and distant spaces. And we get to call you dad, father. It's unbelievable. And like a dad, you want your kids to hear you. So you've given us Jesus, your spirit, the scriptures, one another so that we would have time after time and time again and way after way and way again the opportunities to hear you ever more clearly. And Lord, I confess for myself and for my brothers and sisters here tonight that the reality is that we don't always listen well. That sometimes we have wax in our ears. Often we have wax in our ears but you desire your kids to hear from you. So Lord, I pray tonight that we would hear from you more and more. Even right now, Lord, would you help your kids hear from you? Even right now, would you speak to the core of our beings? Even right now, would you set our hearts aflame for your scriptures? That we would study them and learn from them and memorize them and meditate on them because within them, we hear the words of life. We hear your voice. Yes, Father, help us to hear from you tonight through one another, through your scriptures, by your spirit, and through Jesus who has redeemed us and restored us. And it's in his powerful and matchless name we pray. Amen.